Welcome to Monday on the Puro Pelka podcast. It's Mike here kicking things off for the week. It is Valentine's Day and the day after the Super Bowl. So a lot of people are going to be distracted today, to say the least. Distracted if they won, distracted if they lost, distracted if they forgot to go out and get something. You know, a card, some roses, some candy for their Valentine today. So don't be that person. Just at least a card, something. And the card is kind of an important part of the history of Valentine's Day. If you go back to the story in 270 A.D., yeah, way back. St. Valentine's, St. Valentine was beheaded on this day. But the story of the Valentine card and its origins goes all the way back to that day. Reportedly, St. Valentine befriended one of his jailers, a woman who he became fond of. And before they took him away to behead him, he had written a note saying farewell and signed it, Your Valentine. And there you go. The history, allegedly, of the beginning of Valentine's Day cards. I know, I know, it's crazy. Also on this day back in the day, kind of a weird, I guess, keeping with the theme of Valentine's Day being kind of a weird and grisly day. Teddy Roosevelt, he was not yet president. He was he was in politics in New York. Teddy Roosevelt suffered two losses on this Valentine's Day in 1884 within four hours. His mom died and on the same day his wife died. It's crazy. And don't get me started on my roots on Valentine's Day, 1929 in Chicago, the Capone gang. Al Capone had his guys deliver a deadly Valentine's Day message to members of the Moran gang in Chicago. So it's not exactly just the the happiest day of the year. And and we can also go back not that long ago, four years ago in, uh, in Florida, in Parkland at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas School, where the madman, the young teen who killed 17, wounded 17 others. So Valentine's Day, you know, it's supposed to be all hearts and flowers, not necessarily. We'll talk to Wendy Patrick a little bit later, our lawyer friend, because I have some questions about Valentine's Day and a couple other things in the news. And speaking of the news, big news. Thank God we haven't had a Russian invasion yet, and I hope by the time you listen to this, we still aren't having one. I don't think it's going to happen. I think this is all hype. This is all Putin negotiating to get better treatment, and he's gotten a lot better treatment. He got his pipeline. He's gotten some respect out of NATO. They've walked slowly now uh, on the Ukraine admission into NATO, and that's kind of what he wants because— He eventually, I think, wants Ukraine, but he doesn't want the NATO troops to come plowing in and protect them. So that's going on, but not going on. Uh, Joe Biden talked to uh, Putin on Saturday, and then we heard this morning, Monday morning early, that Putin's people had told him, keep talking, don't don't invade, keep the diplomacy going. So we shall see. I don't think Joe Biden's very effective on anything, so... um, Uh, I'm worried, but I'm not worried because I don't think it's really about war. The other story that's not getting any coverage from the mainstream media, and trust me, I watched MSNBC today for all three hours of the show. I went through the entire 
Morning Joe show today, they did not mention once during the entire three hours the story that popped Saturday from the John Durham investigation. And it looks like Hillary Clinton and her her team spied on Donald Trump, not just during the campaign, but also on the White House, on the executive office while he was in office. That's a big stinking deal. That is a gigantic treasonous deal. And I know Donald Trump is is all up in arms over it, but uh, they were were totally avoiding it this morning. Completely avoiding it on MSNBC, and I assume CNN because I didn't see it on their website. But I, I tuned in to see, hey, maybe they're going to cover this. No, they opened up talking about Major League Baseball after they mentioned the Super Bowl. Then they went into Russia and Ukraine and talked about the 15-year-old Russian Olympic skater who was caught up in a doping scandal, but the Olympics are so corrupt they're going to let her compete anyway. Uh, it just went on and on and on. Nothing. They covered the Sarah Palin trial, which we're going to get into with Wendy Patrick in a little bit. Uh, it's just disgusting how little actual news is covered unless it's on the Democrat talking points. They did not even talk about, they, MSNBC, did not even talk about the insane stuff Nancy Pelosi said this weekend when she went on uh, ABC with George Stephanopoulos and he asked her about inflation because, you know, we got an inflation problem. Well, Nancy's trying to tell us that inflation is happening because so many people are working. Seriously. Let's talk about the situation here at home. Families are feeling a hit from the highest inflation in 40 years right now, costing the average American family about $275 a month. What can Congress do right now to bring those costs down? Well, what, let me just talk about the inflation thing, because people are saying, well, what we're spending is causing inflation. The fact that people have jobs always contributes to an increase in inflation. So Nancy Pelosi believes the fact that people have jobs contributes to an increase in inflation. Well, let's go back about, I don't know, two and a half years. Even a year and a half, you know, kind of in the pre-pandemic era. Donald Trump was presiding over a roaring economy that was seeing minimal inflation, tiny inflation, and record employment, virtually record employment in every demographic, in, in black, white, Hispanic, Latino, Asian, male, female, record employment was happening. And inflation was under control because the government wasn't spending like our pants were on fire. Nancy Pelosi blaming people going to work. It's all about the government spending. Spending, spending, spending money we don't have. And don't even get me started on stopping the oil production in this country. People going to work or causing inflation. I think that these these guys are cutting their own throats here. Nancy uh, Nancy quoted the seventeen Nobel Prize laureates as as uh, Biden is always saying that they're going to invest in the long term economic capability. How about get out of the way of the economy? 
government never creates jobs. Government creates problems. Anyway, Pelosi, uh, not to be outdone, she did she did kind of dress down Cory Bush, one of her own people. And she also went after Joe Manchin because Joe Manchin doesn't want to spend any money. <laughs> yeah, we've already spent enough. We have money still sitting in the sidelines waiting to be spent that we allocated last year. Ugh, these people. And speaking of these people, AOC went to Texas. AOC was not in her district. She went down to Texas to help with a rally about turning Texas, a reliable red state, into a blue state. And you just have to hear this because I heard it several times. It's really irritating. Texas turning blue is inevitable. Uh, hopefully after we're all dead. So inevitable. I have to hear that again. It's particularly irritating. Texas turning blue is inevitable. 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 It- no, it's not. It's not. Uh, you know what? Um, also in Texas, Beto O'Rourke. He is um, he's trying to become the governor. He thinks he's got a chance of becoming the governor. And uh, they asked him in an interview last week if he would like Joe Biden to come campaign with him. You know, the sitting president, you're thinking, well, that's a no brainer. You're in the party and you're hoping to win election. At least when your party's nomination, what could help would be the president, the highest guy in your party coming and campaigning. Doesn't sound like that. Would you like the president to come and campaign with you? This campaign in Texas is not going to be about Joe Biden. It's not going to be about Donald Trump. It's not going to be about anyone from outside of our state. Does that mean that you would prefer that he not come? It it means that I'm focused on Texas and on my fellow Texans. Yeah, that means you're afraid of Joe Biden showing up and saying something dumb because it would remind people of the dumb things you yourself have said. You know, he he used to be the guy who wanted to confiscate your gun. He was all in for confiscating your guns and and now he's all for protecting the Second Amendment. I'm not interested in taking anything from anyone. What I want to make sure that we do is defend the Second Amendment. I want to make sure that we protect our fellow Texans far better than we're doing right now. Yeah, that's a 180 degree turn. That's not even a slight bend. That's a 180 degree turn the other direction. People are smart. That's the one thing I have to count on. People are very, very, very smart. Looks like the uh, trucker protest opened up the bridge in Canada after the cops started coming in and arresting people. But the capital, Ottawa, is still log jammed. So we'll be keeping an eye on what's going on there. And uh, I I don't think that's ending anytime soon. Rand Paul expressed his support for the people who are protesting. And he believes, as I do, that that is the right of the people to peacefully protest, and I'm glad he's doing it. It's a brilliant thing. A brilliant thing he's out there saying that. And I hope it emboldens possibly a trucker convoy here in America to maybe show up in Washington, D.C. around the time of the State of the Union. I think that's happening. We'll keep you posted. 
All right, it's Valentine's Day. I said we are going to get Wendy Patrick in here. I have some legal questions to ask her, so let's get Wendy on the horn. Well, she's back, and a special Valentine's Day edition of discussing amazing legal stories, questions I have about the law. It's our friend, author, attorney, uh, and, and just all around fascinating individual. Wendy Patrick is joining us. Hello, my friend. Happy Valentine's Day. Uh, to you as well. It's always a pleasure to join you. Now, Wendy, do you, uh, in terms of Valentine candy, is it those goofy hearts with the dumb sayings on them, or are you a traditionalist like chocolate and stuff? Well, remember one of my recent Psychology Today articles was on the the very uh, heartening uh, discovery that as much as we try to be creative with our significant others on Valentine's Day, two of the most popular gifts remain red roses and chocolate. (laughs) So I love both, but I also love conversation hearts. Mike, here's the trick with buying the right conversation hearts. Maybe you know you can get some that are soft enough to where you don't break your teeth on them versus the sweet tart hearts. Most of us wait till the day after Valentine's Day and then sweep them all up at half price. You can't go wrong that way. I'd like that advice. Fiscal responsibility on Valentine's Day. So the 15th is the Ides of February is a better day to celebrate Valentine's Day with some cheap chocolates and cheap conversation hearts. (laughs) It's the day to buy yourself Valentine candy. Now, you hope that your significant other isn't going to capitalize on that little trick and want to celebrate Valentine's Day one day late. Hopefully the reservations you have at that swanky new restaurant are actually for Valentine's Day. But come on, I mean, we all like to take a little bit of advantage, especially given the rising inflation prices of gas, supply chain, empty shelves. Who wouldn't want to at least indulge a little bit on the break we get the day after? Whether it's Christmas, Thanksgiving, Valentine's Day, it's all Easter. It's always nice that things eventually go on sale. That's right. That's good. Good advice. Very good advice. See, it's a common sense from Wendy. It's not always about the law. It's common sense about your life. And when you said uh, conversation hearts and you said you you look for the softer ones, I thought you were going to tell me there are conversation hearts that the language is harder and there are others that the language is softer and you prefer the softer hearts. You know, it's been years since I ever even looked. I probably should since I ever even looked at what's written on one of those hearts because it's pure sugar one way or another. But given the fact that I put them out at my office for my colleagues and coworkers, I probably should make sure that I'm buying very good, decent, non-controversial language. Great point, Mike, because no matter what you're reading it on, words matter. That's right. You might have an HR situation in that little box. (laughs) that's right that's right ready to go yeah very good very good we'll stay out of trouble and i'm sure you will wendy uh wrote something that really caught my eye and it's i guess it's an appropriate valentine's day topic because it relates to couples or people that were once couples and dividing assets and we always think about you know splitting the property splitting the cars, whatever people split up when they split up. And there are states that it's uh, an equal property situation, so there's no arguing. And we always argue sometimes, uh, we see hear arguments about the pets. Who's going to get the pets if a couple breaks up? But this one, you threw me for a loop, Wendy, I have to tell you. The one about passwords and who gets the passwords, this is fascinating. 
Yeah, my, so Mike, this is a real sign of the time. So couples share passwords. They share passwords to Netflix and Hulu and other online subscriptions, assuming that they don't violate the terms of service. This is a, it's a sign of trust and affection. Sharing logins signifies shared lives. But what happens when couples break up. You know, you may also have read a recent column I wrote in Psychology Today about the reality, the sad reality that many couples break up around Valentine's Day. And we can think of, you know, some of the anecdotal reasons that might be true. But statistically, it it is true. And if that happens, what do you do about the shared passwords? Do you get a digital divorce. Now, we might laugh at that terminology, but believe it or not, there have been news reports and articles written about the reality of writing shared passwords uh, are going to continue into the future as part of a divorce settlement. Some couples don't own a lot of property. Maybe they don't have kids yet. Um, So what they're sharing custody of is sometimes expensive digital subscriptions. And if they can continue to carry each other on the subscription, Many of them do, but at what risk? We have to remember that sometimes, you know, divorce comes after love triangles, which can become password triangles, and all you need is a little bit of vindictiveness to appreciate how much that could potentially violate privacy. (laughs) A little bit of vindictiveness goes a very long (laughs) way. (laughs) Sadly, it does. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. I had never even thought about this. But the interesting thing is uh, you brought up terms of agreement with the provider. So you make a deal or you you click the box to agree to Netflix's terms. And if you have a password and you start sharing it with people and during the pandemic, Netflix soon learned how many people were passing out their passwords and people were tapping in and they started cracking down, which drove their subscriptions up. And I wonder um, if Netflix will be monitoring this. We know they can monitor you geographically. So if I sign in on a Netflix account from home in Delaware, it's, it's normal. But if I travel, let's say, to Florida in a couple of weeks for CPAC, and I sign in to Netflix on my computer or on my phone, Netflix is going to send me a notice that says we saw a login from a different location. Have you been hacked? Do you need to change your password? So I wonder if the exes, if the people who split move to different states, will they have to somehow dance around the Netflix digital police watching their passwords and their logins? Well, you know, the answer to that is no doubt yes, in the same way that even our credit card companies, unless we sort of train them to look at our spending and travel patterns, that even they are concerned when we're making, you know, these purchases in other areas, uh, especially given the, you know, coming out of the pandemic, certainly now people are starting to travel again. But let me build on what you just said, Mike. That's true in terms of what this what the provider may do. What about what a vindictive ex might do when they notice that maybe contrary to the, the plans that they believed that the ex paramour had, they're showing up using it in different jurisdictions. Or they're looking at the viewing history and suddenly somebody is viewing love stories again and they wonder, you know, who with 
Um, and what about the deliberately vindictive ex that wreaks havoc with algorithms to mess up ads and suggested viewing or maybe changes a profile to rile up a current love interest or to make it seem like they have moved on when they haven't? You can just see all the different ways people could mess with, with each other digitally, um, not to mention the issues with the provider. How about the issues with the ex? So you can see there's a lot that you might want to consider to, I understand it's a money saver, but is it really worth it? I mean, isn't peace of mind priceless? Maybe we just sever the tie, sever the tie and get a digital divorce. Anyway. I like this. You need to write the book on digital divorce. I guarantee you it will be a million seller. You'll be cashing the chips and you'll be from you'll your be, lips to God's ears. You'll That's be at the right. captain's table on the next cruise, Wendy. I'm sure not that you're probably there already, but uh, I'm just saying uh, that's such a fascinating story. Wendy writes great stuff in psychology today, and that's why you need to follow her on Twitter. Whenever uh, she posts a new article, she links to it so you can see it. Wendy, there's another case that is, uh, I believe it's in the hands of the jury already, and the deliberations are going on, but we might hear on this case any day now, and it relates to Sarah Palin suing the New York Times for defamation. And this case is is fascinating to me because I've always heard that public figures didn't really have all the protections that private figures have when it comes to the media and things like defamation. And it seems like a lot of people feel like the New York Times has admitted they screwed up here and they did the wrong thing. But it's not about money from what I'm reading, is it's not about money, is it? No. You know, lots of defamation cases are more about reputation and clearing one's name than anything else, especially if you're talking about a public figure. And yes, it's more, much more difficult to defame a public figure. You need actual malice, but that is not that you can't prove that. And, you know, that's one of the things at issue here with Sarah Palin. I mean, this is a jury of New Yorkers, um, and the, this lawsuit involves uh, Governor Palin suing the Times and its former editorial page editor after they published an editorial that erroneously, and that doesn't seem to be at, uh, disputed here, linked a map that Governor Palin's political action committee posted to the 2011 shooting. You remember that shooting that killed six and injured former Congresswoman Gabby Giffords? Yeah. I mean, I remember that like it was yesterday. Um, and then, of course, there's we also uh, this was it was published on the day of the 2017 shooting that injured Congressman Steve Scalise. I remember that really well, too. And, you know, regardless of the, the correlation and what it was meant to imply, it was it erroneously talked about this link between a map over congressional districts. And, you know, it, it gets complicated, but the bottom line is you have to prove that it was false and it, you have to prove actual malice. And that's what this trial was about. It is in the hands of the jury, um, and the jury actually heard seven days of, of trial. And, you know, Sarah Perlin was there every day, and she testified as well. Yeah, and some of her testimony was pretty emotional, saying how uh, she was yeah. ter- terrified, and it, it kept her up at night, saying that she was responsible for this. And, and then you had the New York Times former editor saying that he was wrong in what he did in changing the language in an editorial and so I, I'm fascinated to follow this, but it's not going to change 
the bar on defamation against public figures, is it? No, but it might make even, you know, very reputable news outlets consider whether or not a report can be taken in more than one way. One of the things that the editor said here is he did not intend that that piece be taken the way it was. But, of course, then the question is, well, should you have intended that? And, of course, I, the governor disputes that. And, but, but it's so hard to get inside someone's head and appreciate what their intent is when they publish something. And that is why on the front end you have all this review and, and all this editorial review. And, you know, as a trial lawyer, I always would run my best arguments past my family members. That's what happens when you're a trial lawyer. Your family becomes a focus group. <laughs> and you have to test out your material to make sure that nothing can be interpreted or taken in the wrong way. Because this is the kind of lawsuit that could result from publishing something even about a famous public figure that might insinuate something that could be very harmful. Well, we'll watch it and see what happens. Palin publicly has said she doesn't want, she's not trying to cash in. She goes, I'll take a dollar no. in damages. That's what I want. And that says a lot to me that this is not about somebody saying, I want a paycheck. She just wants to clear this up and fix it. And and I support that without actually having a whole lot of support or even contact with Sarah Palin. I'm not the guy out there waving the Sarah Palin flag. I just want everybody to understand that. Uh, Wendy, this is a fascinating one. And the password story, that really caught me by surprise, and especially here on Valentine's Day, when a lot of relationships do end. Uh, a, a quick... <laughs> A quick tip. You know. What a way to what a way to end the segment. Mike. Well, you know, there's something something about Valentine's Day because you know we hear people you hear all the ads for the jewelry stores of people saying, you know, if you're thinking about getting a ring, come to our jewelry store for Valentine's. Judge Judy always would say to people, if you get a an engagement ring on Christmas or Valentine's Day. And the engagement doesn't work out. It doesn't work out because usually it's it's given in, uh, I guess, in anticipation of marriage. That's the language she uses. But there are instances where you the the uh, fiance can hang on to the ring. But typically they're supposed to give it back if the wedding never happens. Is there a universal on that? No, and in fact, I think you've just inspired my next Psychology Today column. Uh, I don't have an answer for you now, but I probably will by next week. Okay, I'm dying to know. Because I think if it's, bet you are. if it's given on a birthday, it's a birthday gift. If it's given on Christmas, it's a Christmas gift. And if it's given on Valentine's Day, maybe it's a Valentine's gift. But if the wedding never happens, typically, I'm guessing... The ring is supposed to be returned, but a lot of times... It's a gift with strings attached, definitely, no matter how you look at it. One of the, one of the factors I would imagine you'll find is the, the spending ability, the, the financial position of the gift giver, who would never have invested that kind of financial um, money into a gift that he didn't, he didn't think was going to actually carry through to marriage. So I think that's definitely going to be something that we find. And just as a practical matter, why would, why would you keep it? 
Well, you know, there are ads on the radio that for people that'll take the ring and resell it, or they'll even take your wedding oh, rings boy. and melt them down and give you the gold value. There's all oh. kinds of businesses in the world of breakups. So I'm dying to hear this. So next week when we talk, maybe you'll give me an update. You bet I will. I'm, I'm as interested as you are to find out what the uh, what the expectations really are out there. Her name is Wendy Patrick. Find her. Uh, Twitter is such a great place to find Wendy. It's not always the best place for people like me who get harangued by the liberals. But Wendy has great stuff on Twitter. WendyPatrickPhD.com is also her website. Thank you, my friend. Happy Valentine's Day. 